You're listening to the Daily Mishnah Podcast with Benedict. So we closed on the seventh Mishnah and we concluded, the seventh Mishnah concluded, or it was in the middle of a series of discussions about interchanges between the public and the private domain. And we're going to pick up those interchanges in the Mishnayot we're going to look at tonight. But before we get into discussions about relationships between the public and the private domain, we get off into a little bit of an excursus about trees. And I have to say, I'm not quite, I mean, as you know, I'm, I'm always trying to think through what the st- structure of the Mishnah is. And I found it difficult to really understand what the structure of this Mishnah is, although you can see it has relationships to the underpasses and it has relationships with, you know, measures of height in a public domain. So maybe that is what is going on. But anyway, for whatever reason, we are going to take a little diversion now into tree space. And then we'll come back to public and private. Ilan shehu mesech ala a tree that overshadows the ground. Im ein nefogavahamina aretz shloshatafachem, if it's not more than three hands breadths off the ground. Mutal talim tachtav, we can carry underneath them. And we've learned before that three hands breadths is a sort of a critical distance for contact. And effectively, if this tree is within three hands breadths of the ground, it's considered effectively touching the ground. So you could say, if you like, that it we have a, a canopy over the... It's a bit like being inside an, in a giant tent. Even though we're out in public space, the tree itself creates private space. It's a bit like carrying inside a tent or carrying inside a corral or a sheep pen. That's effectively what the tree is like. So we can carry inside it. Maybe, actually, this is the relationship with the public-private remainder of the chapter, that we're essentially creating private space in, or we're fencing off the public space with the tree as long as its branches come within three tefachim of the ground. But we then go off into a segue about another halacha which is completely tree-centred and generally climbing on trees is forbidden on Shabbat in case we break off a branch. And the Mishnah is interested, well, what does it mean to climb a tree? What if the roots stick up above the ground? And that's really where the, the next part of the Mishnah goes. What if the tree roots stuck up above the ground? Three hands breadths. So we're using the same critical factor, but this time we're using it to measure height rather than using it to measure contact with the ground. So the same critical three hands breadths, three tefachim. You shouldn't sit on them. Because at this point, the roots are are considered a bit like the branches, basically, that we wouldn't climb on in case we broke them on Shabbat. And then, but this is a bigger jump right away. This is this, now, we're now we're jumping almost 
tangentially connected to trees. Hadelet shevamuktse. A door in a muktse. A muktse here is not a muktse object. Muktsa, by the way, just means set aside. But a muktse is a sort of yard behind the house, a storehouse, storehouse, basically where you put stuff. A bit like a, a shed. And as I understand it, the doors on these sheds were not fixed. So you had to basically lift it. You had to carry it over to the shed to fix it. So it's a mo- it's a movable object. And gosh, if we fix it on the shed, maybe we're actually building onto the shed. Now, we learned earlier in the Mishnah of Shabbat that you can actually hang a window on a house without being considered to be building because it's a prepared object. But somehow the Mishnah seems to consider this sort of portable door as building because it says, we don't close off with this door in the Muktze, and we similarly with or with thorns, which we've used to close off a, a hole in the wall this might be the connection with the trees or with reed mats umachsalot we don't close off with them unless they're high off the ground so again maybe this is the connection with the earlier part of the Mishnah if they are three tfachim off the ground we seem to be able to use them either because we're not worried about the appearance of building or one of the commentators suggests that the underlying principle with all of these is that we don't want to drag stuff along the ground and make furrows. And maybe if they're off the ground, we're not dragging. So, yes, perhaps the link between the three halach, these three different halachot in this Mishnah is that they all depend on height from the ground. Maybe maybe that's the secret key, actually, that joins these three uh, these three parts of the Mishnah together. They're all about how high, how high stuff is off the ground. And once we've dealt with these three, we go back to questions of public and private. And we're going to go back to the person who is standing in a private domain and doing something in public. And I want to remind us that when we looked at this Mishnah, which was in uh, chapter, um, just a few Mishnayot actually, in I think uh, Mishnah 4. Let's, let's just go back to Mishnah 4 in the 10th chapter. Remember we had the picture. We had the picture of a ledge outside a window. And we learned that we can put objects on the ledge or take them off on Shabbat. And then we learnt in general, A person can stand in private space and kind of stretch his hand out and move objects in public space. And it works the other way too. And stand in, in public space and move things in private space if he reaches his hand in. Provided he doesn't take them more than four cubits. So provided we don't actually carry in public space, we could stand in private space and move something in public space and we could go vice versa as well. So that's what we learnt in Mishnah 4. Now Rabbi Meir in our Mishnah is going to come with a different opinion. So now we're in Mishnah 9 
And Rabbi Meir is going to object. A person should not stand in private space. And open. This is opening a door. This is probably opening a lock in a door. It's certainly opening a door. So you're standing in private space. You're stretching your hand out through the window. And you're going to push a door open in public space. Or you're going to unlock it, probably. And he works the other way. Maybe you stand in public space and open in private space. And Rabbi Meir says, yeah, you can't do this. Unless you build a mechitza, a tent high, around your public space. So maybe, maybe you want to open a door. Maybe you want to open, I don't know, the front door of your house. So you want to reach your hand out of a window and open... I don't know, you open, want to open a door maybe that's actually, the door would have to be outside your house. Well, maybe if you built a mechitza around it, you could do that, according to Rabbi Meir. And the, the sages object. They object. Amrulo, Maseb Shuk Shel Patzmin. It happened in this uh, a market, a Patzmin. It seems to be a fattening, a sort of a market of animals that were fattened up. Shehayabi Yerushalayim. It was a there was a fattener's market in Jerusalem. They'd lock up their shops. They'd put the key in a window above the shop door. And Rabbi Yossi is not going to object to the the statement of fact he says okay rabbi yossi omer shukshel samarim haya okay rabbi yossi says it was a wool dealer's market so we might not quite agree as to what market it was but people seem to be doing this and i, I again I, I brought you a picture just to show you what's going on so you're you're locking up you're locking the door but then you're going to reach up there's a window above the door and this is very common by the way in Roman architecture, you've got a, an arch over the doorway. So you've got a square doorway. That's the doorway. But then you've got this semicircular window above the door. So you're going to reach up and you're going to put the key into that semicircular window just above the door. That's the situation that the Mishnah seems to be talking about that was happening in either the wool market or the fatteners market in Jerusalem. So that's what they were doing. So it sounds like, it sounds like they were standing in a, so it, so, it sounds like they were standing in, in a public domain. It sounds like they were standing in a public domain. They were opening the, shutting the private, they, they lock their shops. So they, the, the, the door of the shop is private domain. So they stand out in the street. They lock their shop. But of course, they're not going to carry the key in the public domain. They're not going to carry the key through the streets of Jerusalem. They're not going to carry the key in public space. So they're having locked up the shop. They're just going to reach up and they're going to pop the key up 
in the window in private space where it can sit there presumably till the rest of Shabbat. So the the Rabbi anyway Rabbi Meir seems to be overturned in line with of course the fourth missionary in the chapter. Um, and we're going to have another another event. I mean th this idea of proving halacha by recalling an event that happened is a you know is, is a common technique that the Mishnah uses. And we're going to do the same thing for a bolt which has got a knob at one end. So this is a bolt with a big knob. And the suggestion uh, of the... I don't know whether I brought you the source sheet. Yeah, the suggestion is that this knob thing is is sufficiently heavy that you could use it for grinding spices. Jastro says that this word, clostra, clearly it's a Latin word. It's a doorbell which has got some kind of fastening contrivance which is heavy enough that you could actually use as a pestle. So it's a tool, in other words. It's not just a bolt, it's a tool. So, neger, sheyesh barosho, glustra, and bolt, which got a glustra uh, on its head. That's some kind of pestle. Rabbi, Rabbi, um, Rabbi Eliezer oser, Rabbi Yossi matir. Rabbi Eliezer forbids and Rabbi Yossi permits it. And they're going to prove this from an incident. Amar Rabbi Eliezer. Ma'aseh ba'kneset she'bitiveria. It happened in a synagogue in Tiveria, in Tiberias. She'ayu no'agim bo heter. Ad she'ba Rabban Gamliel ve'hazkenim ve'asrulahen. Until Rabban Gamliel and the elders came... And they forbid they forbade them. So they used to do this actually in Tiberias until Rabbi Gamliel came along and forbade it. And now Rabbi Yossi is going to say, Rabbi Yossi Omer, it's the other way round. And of course, this is the problem with learning halacha from a, an event. How do you know you've got the right tradition of the event? How do you know you've got the right recording? Rabbi Yossi Omer. Rabbi Yossi says, no, 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 no. They treated it as forbidden. Rabban Gamliel and the elders came and they permitted them. So we know that we prove the halacha from the event of uh, the event when, you know, the sages and Rabban Gamliel came to Tiveria. But... Mm. We can't remember which way round it was. So we are in existential doubt. Thank you for listening to this edition of the Daily Mishnah Podcast with Benedict.